0: All right, so for those of you that were at the Sunday service message, I was partially in it, but I went back and listened to the whole thing. Um, just a quick reminder. We're not going to be, you know, rehashing that, but just a quick sort of reminder that ties into tonight is that Sam was talking about the prophet Habakkuk and how in his life he was really going through some, some challenging times with what was going on around him. He cried out to the Lord God spoke back to him, told him it was going to get easier. No, he didn't say that. He said the opposite. He said it was going to get harder. Told him he gave him a little bit of glimpse of the future, but not all of it. But he did say it was going to get harder. And Habakkuk responded. He said he would wait. He would wait for the Lord. He said, I think he said something along the lines of, "I will stand on the rampart," and he said he would wait to hear from the Lord. And so God speaks back to him one last time. It's only a three-chapter book, but he speaks back to him one last time in that last chapter. And one of the first things he says, probably the thing that jumps out the most, I would say, for, for a, lot of, a lot of us is, the just shall live by faith. And I know Sam underscored that a lot on Sunday, that when you're going through some tough times or when you 're going through some confusing times in your life, or if you 're just in that sort of environment where that 's around you and it 's confusing or it's there's injustice happening and it 's challenging, then the just shall live by faith so tonight we 'll be looking a little bit more into that into living by faith, but from a different part of the Bible. so if everybody could please turn to Hebrews chapter 11. Now, we're not going to be in Hebrews 11 tonight. <laughs> Spoiler alert. But... Um, this chapter, just sort of as something to reference, it, it's full of examples. If you've never read it or if you just need the reminder, it's full, the entire chapter is full of examples going through the Bible of people that lived a life of faith. They walked by faith and God noticed, noticed that they did that. And so he recorded it. And a big chunk of that, of that chapter I mean, a lot of these, it's like you get one verse for one person or maybe part of a verse. Moses got a bunch of verses. And so we are going to talk about Moses tonight. Um, but here, I guess we can just read a few verses that mention the faith of Moses to give us a little perspective from God's point of view looking back on the entire life of Moses. It says in Hebrews 11:23. And look for how many times it says the word faith. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child and they were not afraid of the king's command. That's actually his parents' faith. By faith, Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. Esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he looked to the reward. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith he kept the passover and sprinkling of blood lest he, he who destroyed the firstborn should touch them. By faith they passed through the Red Sea as by dry land, whereas the Egyptians attempting to do so were drowned. And so, again, just a bird's eye view of Moses' life, but we're going to dive in and see it more on the ground level tonight a little bit. We, we don't have time to go through it all, because not only does Hebrews devote a big chunk to him, but when you get into the details in the Old Testament, I mean, Moses is one of the, one of the heroes of the faith, and it, it, the, the Lord decided to take up a lot of real estate of the Bible with Moses' life, even though he was not perfect. So tonight will be in Exodus, and actually, I did another kind of trick. We're not going to be talking about Moses as much as the children of Israel and how they lived their lives. Moses will be a part of it, an ongoing part of it, obviously, but the children of Israel is what I wanted to kind of use as an example to show how we can live our lives. As, As Sam mentioned, as Habakkuk mentioned on Sunday, the just shall live by faith even despite... You know, whatever's going on in your life or your circumstances around you, you can choose to live by faith or you can choose to live, to live faithless, to not exercise faith. And that's a decision-by-decision decision thing. And so I think the children of Israel, we're going to see both, and that's a good reminder that we see both in all of our lives. It's actually kind of refreshing to kind of, to kind of look and see, okay, I, I mess up and... There are other times where I get to see the Lord help me to exercise faith. I see both in my life. So a quick background. If you recall, the uh, the children of Israel had, they had gone down to Egypt a long time ago. There was a famine, and so the Lord made arrangements for Joseph to be there. <laughs> Speaking of a challenging life, the Lord was in it, though, and the Lord brought him there, and he... At least one reason he did it was to save Joseph's family and to bring them down eventually to save them from the famine, which is what happened over the course of 400 some odd years, 430 years. The, uh, the favor that they had with the Egyptians changed and they ended up becoming slaves. And so the Lord gave a call to Moses later on in his life. Moses kind of did have a call ever from the beginning, if you remember. He had a passion for his people and for justice and to help them, but the Lord spoke to him later on in life and said, I have a mission for you. I need you to go back to Egypt, and I'm going to use you to to get your people out of slavery. And so, as you probably know, the Lord went through this long process, showing his long suffering with Pharaoh, the Egyptian ruler, and he gave him warning after warning after warning, plague after plague after plague, until finally Pharaoh released them and said, be gone, get out of here. And so they left. Moses led them out of the land of Egypt. They got as far as the Red Sea. Pharaoh changed his mind and sent all of his armies after them. And they caught up to them at the Red Sea. And so the Israelites were trapped between an army and water. <laughs> they were trapped. And so we'll look into that. We'll, we'll kind of dive into that in a minute, but just to continue a little bit of the, uh, the background. After that, we see them make their way. We'll, we'll, we'll see how they got rescued from that situation. But after that, they make their way to Mount Sinai. And from there, they're in the wilderness. And eventually, years later, the Lord brings them into the promised land. We won't get into We won't be reading it all. We won't be getting into all the different stories that come out of that, but just sort of some, some highlights to show and demonstrate how we can choose between faithlessness and faithfulness. So back to the Red Sea, you can turn to Exodus. I'll be going to different verses as we, as we go through this and you can turn to them if you want. Don't feel bad if you don't make it there fast enough. But I do encourage you, though, if you can. It's always good to do that. I try to do that with Pastor Steve, just as, just as a habit, you know, for whoever, whoever is teaching. Just follow along, look it up, make sure that they're not quoting it wrong or interpreting it wrong. Exodus chapter 14. Starting in verse 10, we'll just read verses 10 through 12. It's funny, Pastor Steve has told me before, hey Matt, you got to try to walk around, you know, when you're up there, try to walk around to the right, to the left. You know, move your, move your arms around. I'm still working on that. That's gonna, maybe that's going to be next time. <laughs> Exodus 14, 10 through 12. If you throw something at me, I might start moving. I might move to the side. When Pharaoh drew near, the children of Israel lifted their eyes. Put yourself in this position. And behold, the Egyptians marched after them. So they were very afraid. And the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. Well, that's a good response. Then they said to Moses, Because there were no graves in Egypt, have you taken us away to die in the wilderness? Why have you so dealt with us to bring us up out of Egypt? Is this not the word that we told you in Egypt, saying, Let us alone, that we may serve the Egyptians? Remember, they were getting whipped back in Egypt. They were getting oppressed, hardcore. But now at this point, they're like, that sounds better than the situation we're in. We said, let us alone that we may serve the Egyptians, for it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than that we should die in the wilderness. Wow. That's, that's pretty bad, right? I know, I've, I know I've said and done some stupid stuff. This is a... <laughs> This is an example of something I would probably do. And by the way, the last sentence would come back to haunt them later. The Lord's going to quote it back to them and say, well, you guys said you wanted to die in the wilderness. So that's what's going to happen for those of you that didn't exercise faith when I was calling you to come into the promised land. But that's a different story we won't get into. But that's what they said. They saw the situation, and they went back and said, you know what, Let's it would be better if we just... We're not out here at all. And that's a natural response, right? That's like our natural human response. That's our, our fleshly human nature, and it's normal. That's why it's called exercising faith. Now, I want to go to um, verse 22 of the same chapter, because we're going to see some of the failings of the Israelites. If I had time to, th- to kind of plan in advance, I would have included some examples of my own failures because I have plenty to pull from. We're going to see a lot of their failures tonight, but we're also going to see some of their times that they did exercise faithfulness, so I don't want you to get me wrong that I'm looking down on them, you know. So verse 22. This is after the Lord parted the Red Sea and basically said, He said to Moses, you know, stretch out your hand, I'm going to part the Red Sea, and they're going to walk through it. And so if you kind of can picture that happening, just because the Red Sea parted doesn't mean it's going to be easy to walk through the middle of it when the water is like a wall on either side of you, right? But it says in verse 22, so the children of Israel went into the midst of the sea on the dry ground, and the waters were a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. And you might say, well, if there was an army coming at me and I saw, the, I saw the Lord do a miracle and split the Red Sea, then that's the only way I would go. I mean, that's a fair point. However, I know, I kind of stumbled across this verse earlier today, Hebrews 11:29. 29. You don't have to turn there, but it says, because actually we just read this, but this is talking about the children of Israel, not just Moses. It says, by faith they passed through the Red Sea, as by dry land, whereas the Egyptians attempting to do so were drowned. And so it's interesting that you see in the, in the same chapter, you see them complaining and losing faith and fleshing out, but then you see them, when God comes in and his grace, they respond with faith. Something that we can, we can learn from. Exodus chapter 14, same chapter towards the very end, verses 30 to 31. It tells you even more about this faith that they were exercising at that point. It says, So the Lord saved Israel that day out of the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Thus Israel saw the great work which the Lord had done in Egypt. So the people feared the Lord and believed the Lord and his servant Moses. So they get get props for that. And, you know, I guess there's the caveat that after you see the Lord, after you experience a miracle, then it's sometimes easier to praise Him, right? But don't forget, they, um, they had already seen miracles, and yet they still had a lack of faith earlier. So it's still our decision. And in chapter 15, we won't read it. You can just glance at it. But most of chapter 15 is a song that the children of Israel sang along with Moses to the Lord, straight to the Lord. They were worshiping just like we were earlier tonight. And they were just declaring his, his awesomeness and his faithfulness. The next, the next sort of um, mountain peak that we'll just sort of look at that kind of comes out from This time in the book of Exodus is the time in the wilderness, part of the time in the wilderness. If you turn to Exodus 15, if you're not already there, later on down, towards the end, there's that last section, your Bibles might call it something like, bitter waters made sweet. So in verse 23, actually back to verse 22, so Moses brought... Israel from the Red Sea, and then they went out into the wilderness of Shur, and they went three days in the wilderness and found no water. Now when they came to Merah, they could not drink the waters of Merah, for they were bitter. Therefore the name of it was called Merah, which means bitter. And the people complained against Moses, saying, what shall we drink? And so here we go again. It hasn't been that much time, but here's that fleshly inclination reminds me of myself if I'm not sticking close to the Lord even if I am sometimes my flesh my flesh is strong the Bible says in the New Testament that my flesh is at war with my spirit and yours is too you know it's a war it's not like it's not like an easy thing and so we have to be vigilant against it and so here They exercised—I'll call it (laughs) them—exercising faithlessness. And so, I was hoping to find an example of them exercising faith in this, in this this uh, account right here. Unfortunately, I didn't see it. So I just put in my notes. I just put "na" not applicable. This is just one of the bad examples, unfortunately. Now the Lord did help them out. Moses cried out to the Lord. And the Lord showed him a way to change the water and make it actually something that they could drink. Something that uh, Chris, you might be interested in that he's uh, he's into water purification. Yeah, water purification, man, it goes way back. So yeah, the Lord showed Moses what to do. He did it, and they were able to drink. The Lord exercised grace. This is one of the things that you will start to see a pattern, or I like to see it sort of like a thread that goes through the whole, the whole story of Exodus, what we'll be in tonight, but also the parts before and after that we're not getting into. There's just this consistent, strong thread of the Lord's grace and mercy. Yes, he responds when people sin. He responds to the people of Israel. Sometimes he does. Sometimes he punishes them. Sometimes he speaks to them very directly, very harshly. He rebukes them. Other times, he actually sort of lets it go. Doesn't mean he didn't notice it. Doesn't mean it doesn't have to be paid for. On the cross but he lets it go and he gives them this this crazy grace where he he actually helps them without really complaining at all the next thing we'll look at is in chapter 16 this is the chapter about the manna which a lot of you are probably familiar with it always makes me laugh because The name manna, in case you didn't know, it means, what is it? And the children of Israel were like, what is this stuff? So we'll read about that briefly. Exodus chapter 16, verse 1. It says, and they journeyed from Elam, and all the congregation of the children of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai on the 15th day of the second month. So it hasn't been that long since they left. 15th day of the second month after they departed from the land of Egypt. Then the whole congregation of the children of Israel complained, the entire entire group. That's a lot of people. They complained against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness, and the children of Israel said to them, Oh, that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the pots of meat and when we ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. So, again, they're fleshing out. And listen, I would probably be doing the same thing if I was them. I mean, I hope I wouldn't, but I definitely have the capacity, and and you do too, in case you were not aware. So they they complain again, which, by the way, the Lord doesn't like complaining. He says that's a sin. And they actually said, I mean, it wasn't just complaining, but they said, you know, we wish we had actually died back there. In other words, we're not, we're not on board with God's will. We're not on board with what he's doing in our lives. This is, not, this is not fun. We want to go back. It sounds so superficial to kind of look at it, right? And I've definitely done stuff like this, but it sounds almost like, wow, did, who are these people? Do they even believe in God? And that's how it would be if anybody looked at my life or your life at certain points when we flesh out, Right? It's like, wait a second, who is this guy? What's This guy, Matt, is he, is he a heathen? What, what's going on with him? But fortunately, the Lord in his grace doesn't give up on me. And there are times when I'm able to exercise faith when the Lord is working through me. So, did they have a faithful response after this? In Exodus 16, well... The Lord had a faithful response, even though they had a faithless response. He provided that stuff that they didn't know what it was, called manna. And not only did he provide it right then and there to feed over a million people, but he provided it every day for 40 years. So I didn't find an example of them repenting or exercising faithfulness in that case, but maybe they did. Or maybe they didn't, maybe they just, they didn't have a choice. They were starving and they ate the manna. <laughs> and Maybe it wasn't faith, they just ate it because that was all they had. But it says in verse 35, they ate it for 40 years. So that's more of an example of the Lord's faithfulness every day for 40 years. 40 times 365. He also provided meat by way of quails. Until they came to an inhabited land, they ate manna until they came to the border of the land of Canaan. Until they until they were brought to the promised land, the Lord kind of spoon-fed them, even despite their attitude at times. Sometimes they remind me of, it calls them the children of Israel all the time, right? Sometimes they remind me of children, the way they act, but that's my flesh, my flesh is immature. Sam talked about on, on Sunday what a mature Christian response looks like, how to be a mature Christian. Well, when I'm in my flesh, it's, it's like a kid, it's, it's the most immature, Thing that there is and that's what we see here i'm not knocking them because i do the same thing let's move on to the next chapter exodus 17. this is the water from the rock story there's two stories but this is one of them exodus chapter 17 verse 1. then all the congregation of the children of israel set out on their journey from the wilderness of sin, according to the commandment of the Lord, and camped in Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. Sounds familiar, right? The Lord had them on this very difficult journey. I mean, that, that is a fact. But therefore the people contended with Moses, and they said, give us water that we may drink. And so Moses said to them, why do you contend with me? Why do you tempt the Lord? By the way, I've said this before, but it's been probably a few years. Whenever you see the word Lord in all caps in the Old Testament, sometimes when I'm doing my devotion time, I'll highlight every time I see it, but sometimes I don't because it's in there so much in the Old Testament. But that word Lord is worth studying sometime if you get a chance. You can translate it in different ways, but it essentially means the existing one. He's always existed, the sovereign one. That's him. And so it's kind of interesting to look at sometimes when it's, when it's used and to think about that. And so Moses said in verse 2, why do you tempt the Lord? And that sort of like puts it all in perspective, right? The Lord, the existing one, the sovereign one. Why are you tempting him, the God of everything? Because you don't have water to drink. It kind of puts our flesh in its place. Verse 3, And the people thirsted there for water, and the people complained against Moses. And they said, Why is it you have brought us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So again, why are we even doing this? Why are we even on this plan? They're questioning, "Is Is this even the will of God? Or maybe they're not questioning it. They're just like, I don't want the will of God in my life right now. So Moses cried out to the Lord, verse 4, saying, What shall I do with this people? They are almost ready to stone me. So here they weren't just complaining. They weren't just discarding the will of God in their lives. Hello, Luis. Sorry, I didn't mean to put you on the spot. No, I'm glad to see you. <laughs> I know you drive after work on a motorcycle a long distance. So so they were, they were complaining. They were questioning or discarding God's will God's plan for their lives because their flesh was stirred up and they were actually almost ready to kill Moses so again I looked for them to repent or exercise faithfulness in that chapter but I didn't really find it so we will we will continue to move on and you know what that's okay. We, we will still see sometimes when they're faithful. In fact, that's what we'll look at next. And I hope that as we go through these, we'll just be touching on a couple more that you will think about your own self and not just the children of Israel. Pastor Steve likes to say whenever you're reading about somebody else doing something fleshly or legalistic like the Pharisees, that's a, that's a reminder for me to look at myself because I have a little Pharisee in my heart. Well, here, I have a little faithless children, child of Israel in my heart. The next thing we'll look at is in Exodus chapter 24. This is Mount Sinai. And I, I kind of neglected to mention it, but God had them traveling through the wilderness on the way to the promised land, and he was leading them from place to place. They would camp for various amounts of time along the way. Eventually here, they arrive at this place called Mount Sinai. And so, at the very First verse. This is actually a, a passage that, <clears throat> excuse me, our guest speaker at the men's retreat taught on recently. Now he said to Moses, Come up to the Lord, you and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel, and worship from afar. And Moses alone shall come near the Lord. But they shall not come near, nor shall the people go up with him. Verse 3 So Moses came and told the people, all the words of the Lord and all the judgments. And all the people answered with one voice and said, all the words which the Lord has said, we will do. So this is a good example of the children of Israel. This is them on a good day or in a good moment. Verse four, and Moses wrote, actually we'll skip down to verse seven. Then Moses took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people. And they said, all that the Lord has said, we will do and be obedient. And Moses took the blood, sprinkled it on the people and said this is the blood of the covenant which the Lord has made with you according to all these words. So here we fast forwarded a bit but Moses had received the law from the Lord and the people made a covenant and said you know what we are going to do we're going to make this covenant with the Lord and we're going to do everything he wants us to do which I've said to the Lord before. I surrender, Lord, I'll do anything you want. I want my life to be the direction you want me to do, even if it's something I don't want to. That's, I want to do what you want me to do. I've said that many times to the Lord. I still say it to the Lord. But then there's other, other times or other days where my flesh goes a different direction. But here it's good. They said, we're all about this, Lord. We're fully, we're fully surrendered. We're fully on board. Now, we'll skip ahead to Exodus chapter 32, and I know that this is one of the most famous stories from the Exodus travels, one that kids learn all the way from Sunday school if they're, if they're in church when they're a kid, and we still learn it as adults. Exodus chapter 32, verses 1 through 6. Now, when the people saw that Moses delayed coming down from the mountain, the people gathered together to Aaron and said to him, Come make us gods. So they had just said, Listen, whatever God has that he wants us to do, we will make a covenant to do it. But here, Moses is gone for a while. Their leader's gone, this dynamic guy. I think about Pastor Steve. There's other people that I think about too that are leaders, men or women that we know that are Christians, that it just looks like they're on, they're on fire, as, as we say, you know? And it, really can, it can really encourage us in our faith, right? Iron can sharpen iron, and like, especially somebody like that, if you have somebody in your life that's like a prayer warrior, or they're just somebody that's in the Word all the time, or they're just talking about the Lord all the time, their life is just totally given over to the Lord, it'll, it'll sharpen you in the process, right? It'll kind of, it'll kind of build you up. And so, Moses was that kind of a guy, and these Israelites, when he was around, when they weren't contending with him, sometimes they were saying, yes, we we believe in God, we believe in the Lord, we want to do everything he wants for us. But here in verse 1 of chapter 32, Moses was gone for quite a while. And so, they said to his brother, Aaron the priest, they said, make us gods that shall go before us. For as for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. Now, a little context to their defense, the Israelites' defense, not to justify sin, because you can't justify the sin, but to give you a little context, they were in Egypt for 430 years, right? And so, at the beginning of that, they probably had a stronger belief in the Lord. But over 430 years, living in uh, a society of people mostly that didn't believe in God, it's it appears that maybe their relationship with God became watered down for some of them or maybe for most of them. And so there was a lot of different gods with little Gs around at that time in Egypt and in the other countries surrounding them. And so it seems that maybe that had sort of crept in. They were used to that. They were used to living in a way that they had the God of Israel, but then they had these other gods sort of on the periphery. And so here, they're like, well, Moses, our leader's gone. He's like the representative of God. So we don't even know if he's coming back. What are we going to do? We're in the wilderness. So Aaron, you're the next. You're like the second in command. You're the other spiritual guy. Can you make us some, some gods? We don't know what's become of Moses. Verse 2, Aaron said to them, Aaron responds quick. (laughs) He says, break off. the." So I think Aaron may have been following Moses in that way as well. Moses was this this guy running hard after the Lord. And Aaron was definitely obedient. But here, um, unfortunately, Moses is gone. And he says, break off the golden earrings which are in the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. They had been given by the Lord a bunch of gold when they left Egypt. The Lord had had given them favor with the Egyptians. They asked the Egyptians, you know, we're leaving. We're going to worship our God. Can you please give us your gold? Give us some of your gold. And they did. The Lord, the Lord calls it plundering. And the Lord actually did that sovereignly to kind of plunder them and give the, uh, the Israelites these precious um, metals. So here Aaron's like, you all have gold. Give that to me. Verse three, so the people broke off the golden earrings which were in their ears, brought them to Aaron and he received the gold from their hand and he fashioned it with an engraving tool and he made a molded calf. If you read on later, we won't read this tonight, but when he gets confronted later by Moses, why'd you do this? How'd this happen? He actually says that it came out of the fire as a calf, The the gold came out that way, but that's a lie. It says he fashioned it with a tool and he made it that way. Verse three, and that's what can happen with our flesh, right? We can get really focused in and really have our mind on what we want to do and we'll go to great lengths to, to do it and to ignore the spirit. So he makes it into a molded calf and they said, <laughs> they said, this is your God, O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. Sounds crazy, right? They, uh, they didn't know what happened to Moses. He was gone. They might have been wondering what happened to God. So when Aaron saw it, verse 4, or I'm sorry, verse 5. If I, if I say the wrong verse, it's because I have numbers on my notes, like 1, 2, 3, 4, and then it has the verse numbers next to that, so I might look at the wrong one. Feel free to correct me. Verse 5, when Aaron saw it, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow is a feast to the Lord. Notice. Aaron actually is referencing the Lord, the sovereign one, the existing one. He's referencing him, and he says, tomorrow we're going to make a feast to him. We're going to kind of mix this together, you know, like a lot of the, society, the pagan societies did. Then they rose early on the next day. They offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. And... Um, I'm not sure if we'll get into it much, but you can read about it more on your own, but it was definitely, it kind of almost seems not too bad because they're talking about the Lord himself, and they're making offerings to him, they have an altar, and it says they ate and drank, and drank like they're breaking bread, they're hanging out, they're having a good time, but from the Lord's eyes, this is a really, really bad sin for Aaron and for the rest of the people, and, and the Lord confronts them on it. But just as a little side note, it was really bad. It was bad because they were, they were making an idol. They were like mixing their belief in God with, with other stuff, which we can do. But also, the very last word of verse 6, it says to play. Most commentators, by examining the Hebrew that that's translated from, they say that that's like a pagan practice of sexual immorality it's more like the word orgy not the word playing like a kid would play so they are fleshing out in the absence of their leader not knowing what's going to happen not knowing if the Lord is still with them leading them how soon they forget right earlier today I was spending time with the Lord and uh, I forget if it was a brother that sent me a text or something I read it might have been a song I heard, but it said something about going back and remembering the God of my salvation. And so I just, and actually a brother did text me after that and said, you should spend some time worshiping the Lord. So I sat down and I, uh, I just put on some, some of my favorite worship songs. And this is a very common occurrence for me over all the years I've been a Christian, where... You know, I just said how soon they forget, right? The Israelites, how soon they forget. They're forgetting, like God has just been with them doing miracles, walking with them. He's like a a part of their life. They're hearing from him. But how soon I forget too. I may not currently be, you know, totally rebelling and going the opposite direction of God, but I I need to draw near to him every day in a place of worship one way or the other. For you, it might look different than for me, but... Sometimes that's what I do, is I'll, I'll just get alone with the Lord somewhere in a room and put on worship music, and sometimes it'll take a really long time for the Lord to kind of soften my heart and get me back to that place where I have, I'm just remembering my salvation, I have the joy of my salvation, and I don't know how to explain it, I'm sure you guys have experienced it, but to where I'm just, you know, basically at the foot of the Lord. So that's what I did earlier today, but... How soon we can forget how often I need to do that. And I actually forgot that I needed to do that until my friend said, Hey, you should go do that. And I'm like, duh, I tell this to other people that they should do that. But here here I go. Just give me a few days or a few weeks and, and I'll forget about it too. So the children of Israel forgot about the faithfulness of the Lord that they had seen. And now they're fleshing out doing their own thing, they're partying. And so we'll skip past that. The Lord deals with them. He doesn't, he doesn't wipe them out like they deserve, but he confronts them and Moses confronts them. And in fact, he just basically, after, there's a lot that you can read about in 30, chapter 32 that we, we don't have time to read, but Moses intercedes and goes back and forth with the Lord a lot, but the Lord ends up saying, let's go, you know, fine, let's go, we're going we're gonna to move on, and we're going to continue to head towards the promised land, which I see as one of the biggest pictures of grace in this whole exodus traveling, is that the Lord does deal with the sin, but then he, instead of wiping them out, he says, let's continue, let's continue moving forward. Now, the last, the last one that I was going to mention, the last example of faithfulness versus faithlessness. Um, actually, I didn't even write down where it is, but it's in the book of Numbers. And that is the, the story of the 12 spies when the Lord sends them to the edge of the promised land, earlier in their wilderness journeys, not earlier than where we are tonight, but earlier in the 40 years, because it takes them 40 years to finally get there. And he says, I want, to, I want you to send 12 men in there and take a look and spy out the land and then report back and then we'll all go in. We'll kind of get a survey of what, what we're up against and, and we'll go in like the Lord has told us to do. And so the 12 spies go in. Five, six, I don't know the percentage. I was trying to think of it. 11, 10 out of 12, five out of six spies, um, they exercised faithlessness. Unfortunately, they saw that in the land there was a whole bunch of enemies that they were going to have to fight against and they were bigger and stronger and it was going to be impossible for them they said so they came back they reported that except for two of them joshua and caleb they said no it's totally possible because the lord's on our side we can do it and so that's a picture that happens at the same time where you have this small group and most of them are exercising faithlessness, they're they're having fear. I know Eldon likes to say, what is the saying you like to say? Faith over fear? They were doing fear over faith. But Joshua and Caleb, they were exercising the faith over fear. And so that is the reason why the children of Israel ended up extending their time in the wilderness and it took 40 years before they finally did get to the promised land. But we won't get into the details of that either just wanted to show you a glimpse of our proclivity for faithlessness, but also we can be faithful at various times. Now, I wanted to kind of finish off by looking at just super briefly touching on some examples of during that same exact time, but now looking at it, looking at what God was up to I mean, I can't know everything he was up to. I'm sure he was up to a lot, but we can sort of see a little bit of that thread, that strong thread of God's faithfulness that went through that entire time as the children of Israel, they wavered, they fleshed out at times, and at other times they exercised faith. It seems like they were faithless more times than they were faithful. I don't know if that's true with me. I'd have to to think back and look at my life. But God himself, he didn't change. He was faithful the whole time. He, he, um, as I mentioned earlier, he oftentimes dealt with the sin very directly and oftentimes gave consequences, but other times he he did not. And he always exercised mercy and grace and did not wipe out everybody immediately like like he could have. So back to the exodus from egypt when they were getting sprung out of egypt sprung from slavery back in exodus chapter 13 after god got them out of out of egypt and they were on their way <clears throat> before they got chased by the egyptians moses said to the people remember this day in which you went out of egypt out of the house of bondage for by strength of hand The Lord brought you out of this place. The Lord brought you out of this place. Verses five, and then I'll skip to eight and nine. Verse five says, it shall be when the Lord brings you into the land, when you eventually get to the promised land, which he swore to your fathers to give you. Verse eight, and you you shall tell your son in that day, saying, this is done because of what the Lord did for me when I came up from Egypt, it shall be as a sign to you on your hand and as a memorial between your eyes that the Lord's law may be in your mouth for with a strong hand, the Lord has brought you out of Egypt. You shall therefore keep this ordinance in its season from year to year. And so Moses was telling the people, please don't forget about this. We have to do this every year to remember and to tell it with the coming generation, the kids, we have to let them know that the Lord, it was all the Lord that got us out of Egypt. He rescued us. And so Moses saw that, that the Lord's hand was there and he is the one that reached in and got them out of Egypt. And in addition, God led them. He not only kind of sprang them out of jail, but he stayed with them and he led them and he was with them the whole time as they made their way to the promised land. And think about that for your own life, how the Lord did that. If you have become a Christian, if you've been born again, you're Egypt, you can consider your life before Christ as your Egypt. And the Lord got you out of there. But not only that, if, as if that's not enough to be saved and to not have to go to hell and to be free from the slavery of sin, as if that's not enough, he accompanies us in our journey the whole time. Even when we complain, even when we flesh out. And so Exodus chapter 13, verses 21 and 22, it says, the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead the way and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light so as to go by day and night. Sometimes they would travel in the day, sometimes at night. Verse 22, he did not take away the pillar of cloud by day or the pillar of fire by night from before the people. So ever since the very start of their journey their 40 years you see the Lord actively involved his faithfulness when you get to the Red Sea is that first that first example we looked at of the Israelites fleshing out and exercising faithlessness but the Lord is faithful even even when they're doing that the Egyptian army comes the Israelites are trapped the Lord parts the Red Sea and he does it in such a way that the army can't follow them through the Red Sea. He wipes out the army too. We get to the wilderness part that we touched on earlier, Exodus chapter 15, where the waters were bitter. They were thirsty. I mean, that would be hard for me too. There's water right there, but you can't drink it. But still, they, they complained. They cried out. But Exodus 15, 25 It says, Moses cried out to the Lord, the Lord showed him a tree, and when he cast it into the waters, the waters were made sweet. The people are grumbling and complaining, Moses prays, and the Lord says, here you go. Fixed. We move on to chapter 16, going back to that manna story, where the Lord provided food. Verses 11 and 12 say, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, I have heard the complaints the Lord actually listens to your complaints. Sometimes, after a while, he will correct you and say, stop complaining. <laughs> You've got to exercise faith here. But isn't that, isn't that amazing? He listens to your complaints. He listens to my complaints. And it's been said that he's such a loving father that if that's the only way he'll hear from you, he'll still, he'll still listen, you know? The Lord spoke to Moses saying, I've heard the complaints of the children of Israel speak to them saying, at twilight, you shall eat meat. So they complained. They said, we don't like this plan. We wish we were back in Egypt. And what did the Lord say? He said, I have, I've heard you, and here you go. You're going to have meat. And in, in the morning, you'll be filled with bread, and you shall know that I am the Lord, your God. That's his mercy and his grace. He's actually going to be building up their faith. He's going to show them that he's real. And he's going to provide for them. Then we go back to Exodus 17, the water from the rock that we looked at earlier. Remember, they were complaining there too. And in verses 5 and 6, the Lord said to Moses, Go on before the people and take with you some of the elders of Israel. Also take in your hand your rod with which you struck the river and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock in Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water will come out of it, that the people may drink. And so sometimes you see this where it's almost like, I mean, I know as a father that you just have to be discerning, right? I'm sure the Lord is like the most discerning possible. But as an as a, um, unperfect father myself, I still try to discern you know, sometimes how to deal with my kids when they're doing something they shouldn't, whether it's complaining or something else. And sometimes you do, you do like very thoughtfully sort of let, let something go, right? Just out of like total grace. And so the, Lord, the Lord's like, here you are, here's your water. Even though, let's see, what did they say? I'm going back to my small print Bible. They contended with Moses, and as Moses put it, they tempted the Lord, and they complained against him, and they said, why have you brought us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with us? Even though they said that, God said, here you go. Here's some water. We don't have time to get into it, but there's other examples, like the Amalekites came in Exodus chapter 17, came up against them. The Lord delivered them. It's a pretty cool little small little section of chapter 17, the second half, if you get a chance to look at it. You can totally see the Lord and his grace. And then with Mount Sinai, which we looked at earlier, we didn't really talk about it much tonight, but there's like so much in the book of Exodus where it goes through the law that was given to them from from Moses. And sometimes, you know, I've in the past thought about the law as a negative thing, like it's all these rules and stuff. But actually, if you step back, it's such a positive thing that the Lord gave them so that they can be right with him. They can be in a right relationship with him. And not only that, but there's a whole bunch of laws that were accompanied by blessings. So when they would follow the way the Lord wanted them to live their lives, the Lord gave them a ton of promises about the blessings they would receive. So the Lord was blessing them in this wilderness as they wavered in their faith, going back and forth between faithful and faithless. He was writing the law for them to bless them with this on stone tablets to give to them. And after he wrote them, this is, this is what he said to Moses after he got done writing the law. Exodus chapter 33, verse 1. The Lord said to Moses, depart and go up from here. So he's telling Moses, you need to get back down there to the camp. You're up on the mountain talking to me, getting the law from me, but it's an emergency. Go back down there. He says you and the people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt to the land of which I swore. Oh, sorry, I'm, re- I'm reading a different passage. That did happen, what I just said. He sent, the Lord sent Moses down to address the golden calf. And after that, um, we get to this part, Exodus 33, one. This is where the Lord said to Moses, depart from here and head on head on out, and you're going to continue your journey to the promised land, to the land of which I swore, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying to your descendants, I will give it. Verse 2, and I will send my angel before you, and I will drive out the Canaanite, the Amorite, the Hittite, and the Perizzite, and the Hivite, and the Jebusite. Verse 3, go up to a land flowing with milk and honey, for I will not go up in your midst, lest I consume you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked people. The Lord's still telling them the truth, but nevertheless, he's like, listen, we're going to continue our journey. You're still going to go. To a land flowing with milk and honey, even though that just happened. While I was giving you the law, I was writing the law for you. You guys were creating a golden calf. I had to send Moses back down. He broke the tablets because you broke the law already, and I just created it for you. And he had to go back up, and I had to write it again. Even though that happened, let's move on, and let's go to the land flowing with milk and honey. Now, he did say, I'm not going to go with you in your midst, but I am going to send my angel with the capital A with you. In verse 4 of Exodus 33, it says when the people heard this bad news, you know, the fact that the Lord himself wouldn't be right there with them as as close as he was, they mourned and no one put on his ornaments for the Lord had said to Moses, say to the children of Israel, you are a stiff-necked people. I could come up in your midst in one moment and consume you. Now therefore, take off your ornaments that I may know what to do to you. So the children of Israel stripped themselves of their ornaments by Mount Horeb. Skipping to verse 15, Then Moses said to God, If your presence does not go with us, do not bring us up from here. For how then will it be known that your people and I have found grace in your sight, except you go with us? So we shall be separate, your people and I, from all the people who are upon the face of the earth. Verse 17, So the Lord said to Moses, I will also do this thing that you have spoken. In other words, the Lord said, Okay, I will go with you. My presence will go with you after all. For you have found grace in my sight, and I know you by name. And we'll close in another couple minutes. I just want to mention a couple things in passing. We won't read about them per se, but just on the list of some of the ways that that thread of the Lord's faithfulness continued during that time period. When he gave the law, he also gave the sacrificial system. Think about that. I'm reading Leviticus, or yeah, I'm in Leviticus in my devotion time. If you've ever tried to read Leviticus, have, have you guys all tried to read it? Oh, that's... That can be tough. When I was a brand new Christian, I started in Genesis, and I said, "I'm just going to read the whole Bible." I stopped somewhere in Leviticus and gave up, and I switched to the New Testament. But now, um, now it's it's a blessing. I I make sure I sort of read it along with the Lord, and I'm very prayerful, and I write, journal, I journal, and it's become a more rich experience. But anyway, I used to think of the sacrificial system as a weird thing, but now I am aware that it is a picture of Jesus. And how he atones for our sin. And it's very detailed. You can read about it. But that's part of what God gave to the people at that time. So all the while, while they were wavering in their faith, the Lord had all these blessings in store for them. The law, the sacrificial system. He had all these festivals throughout the year planned. The Tabernacle of Meeting. You can read all about the Tabernacle. How he created the pattern for that. And all that it took to, to put it together. But it's called the Tabernacle of Meeting. The Lord created a place and created a way for His people to be able to meet with Him, even though they were faithless at times, like I am. He created; He, he took um, a lot of effort to come up with this plan, the tabernacle of meeting. And we know that Jesus Himself tabernacled here. He—that's the—that's the foreshadowing of Jesus. He also provided for them during 40 years, not just the food but he provided, it says, their clothes and their sandals didn't wear out somehow, miraculously. And then he mentions right before they go into the promised land, and this is where we'll finish. He mentions, I don't have have the reference, but it's in Deuteronomy. He actually mentions Jesus there. He mentions the prophet with a capital P, and he talks about how he's going to come. And so the Lord's blessing them all the way up to the promised land. Their journey gets extended to 40 years but the Lord is still with them. He's still blessing them. He brings them in. He's, he splits the Jordan so they can cross. He conquers Jericho for them. He conquers slowly all the rest of the parts of the promised land. And then they, they divide it up to the different tribes. And so you see this. If you look for it, you see this strong contrast between God's faithfulness and between The people, sometimes faithfulness, most of the time, unfaithfulness. And then comes the book of Judges, and that's the same cycle of the Israelites' faith and lack of faith continuing, but God's threat of faithfulness also continuing. And so in closing, we'll break into small groups in a minute to pray. But the Bible says, walk by sight, not by faith, right? You're supposed to say, no, it doesn't say that. It says the opposite. <laughs> it says, walk by faith, not by sight. But that's what we do sometimes. That's what I do. I know I do that. Can I get an amen? amen. I mean, not just for me, but for yourselves. <laughs> we walk by sight and not by faith. It doesn't just happen by default, you know? It's not the natural, the natural grain of us to walk by faith and not by sight. The natural is for us to walk by sight and not by faith. 2 Corinthians 5.7 is where you can find that, by the way. Walk by faith and not by sight. And so what was the conclusion of last Sunday's message? One of the conclusions? It was the just shall live by faith. That's what the Lord spoke to Habakkuk. In these crazy times that you're in, in your own messed up life, and in the future, which is going to be difficult, live by faith. And so... Why? Why sometimes do we want to do the hard thing? Sometimes it's harder to live that way, right? Actually, most of the time. Why would you want to make those choices to walk by faith? Well, how would you like to see a promise where God tells us how we can make him happy? You ever think about that? I mean, it's nice to have a relationship with God, but we can also, it actually tells us there's a promise of how to make God happy. And it's back in Hebrews 11 where we started. Verse 6, it says, But without faith, it is impossible to please God. You could say to make him happy, right? It's impossible to please God, for he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Pastor Steve's been really emphasizing the seeking of the Lord over the last few months. And so let's continue reminding each other that we should be seeking the Lord. And that is, that's part of living a life of faith, seeking the Lord, believing in Him, and believing that as I seek Him for the decisions in my life and just seek Him, seek His presence in my life, that it makes Him happy to see that and that He'll respond to that. In other words, when you walk by faith, you'll please God, you'll make Him happy. And the last thing I'll read before we pray is Psalm chapter 32. I won't read the whole thing, but there's a verse that came to my mind as I was praying about this. And it's one that talks about the Lord is speaking and he says, he says hey, listen, don't be, don't be like a horse that needs a bridle. You know, the bridle is what, well, I don't know all the technical terms, but I think the bridle is what goes in their mouth and that's how you steer them, right? You pull the straps or whatever they're called. Is anybody a horse rider, horse person here? Maybe Sue is. She's from the outskirts of New York. No? So in, in uh, Psalm chapter 32, I mean, it is worth reading. I won't read it. It's worth reading the whole thing in, the, in, you know, in light of what we were in tonight because it starts out talking about the blessing of forgiveness. And after we exercise faithlessness, just to remember that coming to the Lord we can come to the Lord just like David did here and what he wrote about here. And so when you get down, let's see, where is it? Verse number eight. Actually, we'll go back to verse number six. For this cause, everyone who is godly shall pray to you in a time when you may be found. Surely in a flood of great waters, they shall not come near him. You are my hiding place. You shall preserve me from trouble. You shall surround me with songs of deliverance, Selah, which means meditate on that one. And then verse number eight, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will guide you with my eye. Do not be like the horse or like the mule, which have no understanding, which must be harnessed with bit and bridle, else they will not come near to you. So in other words, the Lord wants to lead us. He wants us to walk by faith. He doesn't want to see us fleshing out and having him have to kind of intervene and, like, hey, I got to correct you. I got to steer you. That will happen. And, you know, that's another example of his grace right there, that he even corrects us. But what he really wants us to do is he wants to guide us with his eye. He wants us to follow his lead. He wants us to walk by faith where he wants to lead us.